Welcome to Brave New Words. I'm your host Ed Fortune and I'm here with... I'm Ross. And I'm producer Al. So on today's show, we were planning on talking about George R. R. Martin's Winds of Winter. One slight problem with that, it hasn't been released yet. Possibly he hasn't finished it. So we're going to talk... Still! 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 George R. R. Martin is not all bitch, though we do want a small dog. But anyway... um. We, we we can't talk about that, so we'll be talking about other Game of Thrones related things instead after this jingle. This is Fab Radio International. Wasn't that a nice jingle? That was a lovely jingle. I was very excited by that jingle. And a quick reminder, of course, that you can follow us on either via Starburst Magazine, via Fab Radio International, via the, the Wonky Spanner, and you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and, and other social media things by looking for the words at Radio Bookworm, and you'll find us. Or Brave New Words on Instagram. You can find us at Brave New Words on Instagram. You can find us on Tumblr as well. Yes. You can tumbles if you want. Mm. We love, love a good tumble on this show. Our mind palace is currently empty. Is it now? It is. My mind is mostly empty. Do you know what filled it? Was it books? Oh, science. Close. Science book. So, Helen Keane is a comedian and writer who is responsible for the show It's Rocket Science and has done a whole load of comedy science stuff. She's one of those... There's a kind of a growing trend in, in scientists who are funny and entertaining. Because science is kind of interesting. It's presented to us mostly in a dry sort of way. So there's kind of been a movement to make it more interesting and more fun and a bit more silly. So she's written a book called The Science of Game of Thrones. And you sit there and you go, really? I was thinking this. Because there's not really much science. My, my first thought is to say, well, we had a science of Doctor Who previously on this show. Uh, which we liked was quite good. Is this like a further attempt to to cash in on the expanding bandwagon of a franchise that's been quite successful? Well, I'm thinking of the science of Discworld, as oh, well, of which there've been yes. many several volumes. Several volumes, and it's very good. But that's a coherent story. What this is is it's essentially a stand-up act. It's act. It's a 250-page stand-up act um, intended for light reading or younger readers. Right. So if you are a teenage type of person, then obviously, um, you know, this is maybe a possibly more challenging read if you're not a... I'm not know, a science person. If you're not a science person. But what she does as, as a general excuse is she uses bits of the show as an excuse to cool up, talk about cool science things. So, for example, she talks about wildfire. Right. Which is the green Bernie stuff. From the show, the the it's the it's and then from of the books course, from the books on the on, in the show though you see it as magic green Benny stuff and it sets fire to ships and it's horrible. Clearly, in this, it's an ex, an excuse to talk about napalm, right? Um. Greek fire, mm-hmm. and other absolutely ridiculously dangerous explosive science experiments. This sounds cool. So then she talks about uh, the mysterious science of getting your sword just right. And she talks about all the magic swords uh, and all the, the various bits. And the thing I love about this is she doesn't go on and on about 
falling steel and all the rest of it. Instead, she goes, well, apparently the Valerian steel swords in the books were, were tempted by plunging them into living human beings. That's a rubbish way of qu- quenching a sword, and you shouldn't do it. No, no, no. you're going to get squishy in, inside bits on it. You don't get enough carbon either, yeah. and it's, the human body's the wrong temperature. You want it a bit mm. colder than that. Yeah. And you'd have to kill several people to, 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 to get the whole thing to work properly. Um, so lots of people get poisoned in the Game of Thrones. Right. So, so there's chapters on how to poison people. Well, there's chapters on how... Does everybody in the book die? <laughs> in the science book, yes, that's a good point. Actually, I don't think Helen Keen dies at the end. No, which is useful. Which is useful. Well, to be fair, so okay. Granted, Game of Thrones hasn't ended yet, but Jorah Jorah Maltin has survived the book so far. So I'm not expecting the author to die in this book. So, so yeah, that's a good point. Actually, to be fair, she's finished writing it. <laughs> John dies at the end, which is a first-person narrative story. Which it says spoilers, man. John dies at the end. But um, that's a different novel, and it's also not about science. So, yes, um, it's also it's also got that thing where she she talks about warrior women. She does this thing where she talks about Brienne of Tarth, and then of course she goes on uh, a bit of a rant about how stupid booby armor is. Right? Oh, oh, boob plate. Boob plate. But then she goes into kind of the historical reasons as to boob plate, and it's essentially lots of historians with dirty old men. It's a conclusion. Lots of graphic novel artists are pervy old men. Yes, computer programmers as well. I I recently saw an animation of someone who... uh, Someone had created an animation of female body armour in which the rest body armour jiggled. Have you seen the Batman one that is if Batman was drawn like female body armour is and it's just the tiniest little pair of hot pants you have ever seen with like a jacket that comes down across essentially his cleavage buttons here just above his navel and then flares out so you get a little bit of decolletage abs the entirety of his thighs isn't that still for the male gaze though it's certainly for my male gaze I don't know about other males but you know Batman who's meant to be super hit I, I believe it's making a point but still yeah there are some glorious fan art posters um, especially around um, the Avengers Assemble poster which had all of them on it but with Black Widow doing that thing where she's got both her shoulder her boobs and her ass facing towards Escher girls they're called Escher girls yes the camera uh, which is obviously physically impossible almost without breaking your spine and they've flipped it so she's standing wearing sensible stuff and all of the male characters are doing that pose it's one of the things I love about Rat Queens which is a book that we'll talk about at some point on the uh, some other point of the show Mm -hmm. because the problem with Rat Queens is there is a problem with Rat Queens and it's to do with the artists and the creators not the actual story itself but it's about a bunch of female adventurers in sensible clothes right um, and surprising. The, the, the costumes are amazing, the exception of the necromancer, who is dressed like a sexy necromancer. And you go, what? Sexy necromancer. What the? What? No. Sex, no. No, hang on. Sex and death. And then you meet the male necromancers, and they're dressed in sexy wear. They've got their they, they, they've got their, their chests out, and this tight pants. And it's like, that's what you wear if you are a practitioner of dark magic. It's like, it's not it's not... A sexist choice. It's just you know the uniform is flesh, apparently. Okay. Sexy uh, there's also the Daves and Rat Queen, which who all dress very little. They're all called Dave. That's how you join the Daves. 
because they're the Rat Queens and that that's our adventuring squad. And these, these these guys are called the Daves, and you have to be called Dave. And they mostly wear hot pants. But I've we've gone off the topic entirely. So we were talking about boob plate. We were talking about boob, boob plate, and she basically uh, laughs at boob plate. And um, she talks about crossbows and how crossbows works. Because that's going to hurt. It's going to dig in. Well, it's, be very uncomfortable. The crossbows is, are meant to dig in like that. No, the boob plate. Oh, okay. The problem with boob plate is it directs power to the sternum, which is a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, also, if anything hits you here, you're just dead. Yes, it's directing too much energy mm. in the wrong places. Um, she talks about dragon flight. She doesn't do the thing where she talks about dragons eating lots of gassy stuff so they float, which is good. Um, I was, I was going to ask about, you know, is there a chapter on aerodynamics of dragons? Yes, there is. Okay. She, she talks about it. She mostly talks about bombardier beetles. Um, right. Which are the, the wee beetles with two noxious chemicals inside them. Lots of beetles have noxious chemicals in them so they can glow, for example. Right. But yeah. the, these, the bombardier beetles have two noxious chemicals, which they've discovered that if they, they poo the right way, explodes. Right. But only if they poo the right way. Yeah, because they, they have to activate their, their reserves of those chemicals and fire out the explosion. And it causes any predators to go, blimey, and fly off, or run off, or run away. So, that sounds like one of those sort of Pratchett-esque um, animals which probably shouldn't still be in existence because... Possibly more of a Douglas Adams-y one, but I don't know. So we've got be- uh, uh, Bezoars. Okay. A bezoar is a gemstone made out of um, hair that you swallow. Right. So a hairy animal swallow them, it goes into your digestive tract and it creates a lump of smelly stuff that's known as a bezoar. Now, it was believed to be a poison cure. And it does work for arsenic if you grind, grind it up. doesn't work if you wear it around your chest, which a lot of people did. Right. Uh, the same with um, narwhal horns... If you grind it up, you can't use them as a base component in antidotes. You can, but there's cheaper, bony stuff out there in the world. You don't have to go mm. and pay sailors to get you some sea unicorn, which is apparently what a lot of the unicorn horns were. And you know, you'll find find depictions of people going, hey, "Unicorn horns will protect me; it's poison." They were probably narwhal right horns. Um, so yes, she talks about direwolves and would direwolves exist? And the answer is, well, they did. So, so yes. Um, is that science? Is that science? That doesn't feel like science. Yes, it's um, doesn't paleontology. It's not exploding stuff. It's paleontology. It's it's natural science. Natural natural science. It's awesome. Things don't have to be explored to be called science. She, she does explain that you can't have giants, and she blames Isaac Newton for it. Why can't you have giants? Uh, it's to do with the. Uh, to, it's to do with maths, essentially. Uh, everything scales up. So the way she puts it is: yeah, sure, the size of cubes doubles as you'd express. The surface area doesn't double along with it; it increases fourfold, and the volume of a cube increases eightfold. So the bigger a thing gets, the more surface area it has, the more heat it loses, the harder it is, and the more volume it has. And there is an actual physical limit on how big human beings can be before bones collapse. Yes. The, the, this is the square, the square cube law. Square cube. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all Isaac Newton's fault. Before that, we could have giants, and then he came up with science. And he was standing on the shoulders of giants, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. Surely, um, also, you know, it's um, it's an alternate universe, so it could because they don't have Isaac Newton. Well, no, that's, that's how science works. So you go up to a Bumblebee and you go, "You don't work aer- aerodynamically." The bee stops flying and falls out the sky. 
It's exactly how that works. Does that work with wasps? Because that would be useful. No, because they're oh. aerodynamic, unfortunately. Are we in the parallel universe where it doesn't work? Be, we're maybe. getting philosophical early on well, well it's not that early on um, but yes um, so did I enjoy the science for Game of Thrones it sounds like you did the picture on the front's good I like the picture on the front it's got a dragon on it it's got dragons yeah. and lots of scientists going I've got a scientist, scientist getting some dragon earwax which is quite sad right. well, I'm sure there's, there's, there's uses for it but um, she's she's clearly read the books she's clearly read a lot of the other stuff related to the, the whole series as well. I was um, thinking, can you make a candle out of dragon earwax? Is that a bad idea, considering they breathe fire? I don't know how lizards protect their ears, because they don't really have any. I think if you can gather the dragon earwax... Well, there's a lot... Without, you know, dying as the dragon decides that you're annoying. There's a... Oh, I can hear you. There must be a dragon... Um, What's the equivalent of optician? <laughs> oh, could you imagine being the, like a, a dragon doctor? Yeah. Because they're sentient creatures. They're yeah. intelligent creatures that can understand language, and in some fantasy settings they have their own languages and tongues, don't they? Mm. talk to dragons. So presumably they get, like any... They're a very large living organism, and we know that whales get only, their own unique whale diseases. Um, I seem to recall there's a version of dolphin chlamydia as well, this sort of thing. You, you get like unique. For various animals, they get their own little thing. So dragons must get like dropsy or, you, you know, scale rot and this sort of thing. Do we need to give a warning for people who are listening to this at lunchtime? I just like the idea of a dragon's <laughs> going, I've got a cold, I've got a cold, I've got a cold. I, I've got all the kings and queens together for a nice conversation about the economy because I'm a dragon and I like gold. I'm going to try and get convinced them to start a bank in my house. I mean, listen, I. Achoo! Oh, I've killed the head of state. Oh, dear. Oh, that's going to be a quest. They're going to come after me with their with quests and their. Maybe that's why we ended up killing dragons because it's just one dragon of a cold and then it just caused a massive diplomatic incident. So, right, does this book include vaccinations for dragons? It doesn't. Uh, I've gone on a ta- tangent. I don't think she covers uh, vaccinations. She does talk about magic and what magic means in the real world. Uh, and she's mostly she mostly talks about fraud, essentially. About? Fraud. Okay. And how we are inclined to believe in magic, if you see what I'm saying. Um, so, yes, also talks about genetics, because... The people of Astros understand genetics, they just don't call it genetics. The entire series hinges on someone working out in genetics. Right. Okay. That the blood is the you know, the blood is true or whatever it is. Yeah, who is actually the child of the dead king. That sort of thing. And there's an entire you know, the, the, the fire priest cult people he said saying it wrong deliberately to annoyed listeners. Uh, also have the thing where they're following various bloodlines, aren't they? So they understand how that works. So that's the science of Game of Thrones, which is a book full of words. Shocking. There was well, I reason. I was also kind of hoping whether we, you know, sort of, is it going to be a future book? The engineering of Game of Thrones, where they tell you how to make that throne with full swords, how to weld one together. Well, interestingly, because the obviously don't you get like a block of something that decomposes, and you just shove all the sword in it, and wait for the organic material to decompose. And for the swords to just stay in that shape around it. Oh, that's cool! Especially if you do it to like uh, like a fiery elemental creaturey thing, because mm. then the things melt together. Mm. But so that's not in the book. Okay. That's not in the book. Well, no, he the, the throne in a Game of Thrones 
uh, in the novels is it's we see this kind of rather comfy looking chair yes and that's not what you get in the um, it's it's huge isn't it it's this horrible spiky it'll cut you it cuts you every time you sit down right and it's really uncomfortable and it's horrible to sit on so it's, yeah. a, it's a sort of Damocles thing because the sort of Damocles was you had a sword hanging over your head and to remind you of how threatening being in power was well, it's more the fact it's more just utterly psychotic. Okay, it's a big collection of horrible sharp things, and the original throne room was full of horrible sharp things and bits of dragons. And it was just like a "You shall be scared. I am the king. Do not waste my time with nonsense." Because I'm prepared to sit down on this thing. Uh, yes, yeah. and if you want to be if you want to be king or queen, you'll have to climb this stairway, which is made out of knives. Right. That so could, that could put someone off. Cushion. The, 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 that's kind of the point. You're not allowed a cushion. King. I'd just like to say that this is published by Hodder and Stout Unlimited, whose website is www.hodder. Very well done. Shall we <laughs> just, There's a week for Hodder. Mm. So, I've got another Game of Thrones <laughs> book. You have. And um, this one is not full of words. Uh, it is produced by... Who is it produced? It's produced by HBO. Can we repeat the, the, the tweet we saw a few weeks Chronicle ago? Books. Chronicle Books. I can't re- quote it word for word, but can we repeat the tweet from a few weeks ago? Go ahead. A friend of ours, a friend of the show, Jonathan Green, received an email from someone who hadn't read the subject line of their own email, asking if the colouring book that was being produced as a spin-off of a of uh, the oh what was the book? Uh, Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> yes, Alice's Nightmare in Wonderland. Uh, the colouring book for the spin-off of it. Would they like an audiobook version of it making? Well, we can give you an exclusive sample of the audiobook version of the Game of Thrones colouring book on this show. Uh, one moment. Forty-five and, minutes available in shops. And we have just wasted seconds of your life there, listener. Which is fine because you're listening to the show and we're, uh, you know, wasting minutes. Uh, so, it's a Game of Thrones colouring book. It's not... A Song of Ice and Fire colouring book. So we looked at the Sarah J Mass uh, front of glass one, which was kind of much more kind of had quartz in it, and it was supposed to give you a feeling for the for the books. These are just they're almost like stills. I'm showing these. They, they are literally screen caps almost. Uh, though that's quite pretty. Yes. So it's got some fairly it's excellent radio. Uh, we've got some. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> some fairly intricate bits and pieces because that, those are thing of colouring which we discovered where you have at least one thing that's really easy to draw because it's sky um, <laughs> it's sky with a towery thing or you know it's a picture of a puppy or something uh, relevant questions because it's a colouring book and it's Game of Thrones is it suitable for work? Uh, that's a very good question <laughs> oh we've not spotted any uh, any uh... It's a lovely picture of Aria, actually. It's absolutely Not spotting gorgeous. any any nudity as you've gone through. But to be fair, we won't see. Shall we? Shall we check for boobies? Now the thing <laughs> is, this, this is this is definitely a colouring book rather than a mindfulness colouring book. Yeah, it does what, not. What is the distinction? A mindfulness thing, I think, would have like lots of patterns in it and sort of fairly repetitive things that you could just sort of zen out on. This you're going to actually have to focus because there's some very intricate drawings going on here. One, yeah, the mind you haven't got the lack of creativity where you want, ideally, once you're done, you want it to look like the people on the show. Uh, the point of a mindfulness book is it's a bit like basket weaving. It's something that you can do over and over again to focus your brain without actually having to worry. Because no one's going to really care if you get the bits wrong, mm. but you do. 
and it gives you just enough um, sense of worth yeah to, to do that and of course there's a map here <laughs> which producer Al will be colouring in at some point because producer Al has all of the crayons because we all love them because we choose yeah, them you do this is the one advantage that Sudoku has over a Game of Thrones with, oh sorry not over Game of Thrones over colouring books which is that you know, if, if, if someone's around you, you you can look like you're doing it very very easily and you can draw in a row of sevens just because you can and look smug how would Game of Thrones Sudoku uh, work? Surely the numbers count down. The numbers would count down and somebody would die. Ever so, ever so often the numbers attempt to multiply but there's actually no product at the end as a rule. Um, but yes, it's... You finish the, a Sudoku Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Only one if you can. <laughs> so, I yes. think my... This that colouring book feels like a slightly wasted opportunity because it is all screen caps from the TV show, pretty much, and a couple of other bits. And I think there was an interesting opportunity for them to get the guy who storyboards Game of Thrones, who is a guy we know called Will Simpson, and get some of his drawings in there. See, the thing I find fascinating about it is because you see. They're screen caps, and they are—they are—they aren't literally screen caps. An artist has come along, and mm. but they, they've clearly frozen. You know, they've—they've they've drawn from the, the TV show. Yeah, and I suspect this is a lowest common denominator product. And to be honest, though, I agree. Will Will Simpson should have more work. If I was going to buy a book of Will Simpson's art, I'd want it to be heavier, bigger, yeah. and have more stuff on it. If you have not read Will Simpson's version of the Rogue Trooper. Which is a 2008 comic strip. Uh, 2008 celebrated issue 2000 recently. It did. There's an aside. Shall we talk about stuff after these messages? We shall. Yes. Starburst Radio, the greatest radio show in the universe. Every Wednesday, 9 p.m. till 11 p.m. Exclusive to Fab Radio International. Those messages. Hurrah for messages. By the by, if you want to advertise on our show, get in touch. Uh, you can contact me on ed.fortune at starburstmagazine.com. If, if you also want your messages to be on the show, you can get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. You can, you can even, if you really want to, join our special Facebook group, which is called the Brave New Words Super Secret Book Club. Because as we know, all the best book clubs are super secret. So, with all of that nonsense out of the way, uh, what I was talking about, 2008 AD, William Simpson. Yes. So, 2008 AD have recently had issue 2000. Brilliant. Um, they, they just, it, this two, the thing is they've already had an issue 2000, because in the year 2000 they had an issue 2000, but that was more of a New Year special. Or New Millennium special. Yes, because like, yes. the, there was that classic stupid question, which was, what are you going to call 2008 AD in the year 2000? Because it came out in the 70s. Yeah, it's all at 2018. Exactly, that, the, to, totally the answer. Like, unless it survives another thousand years, it might be a problem then because it, it makes it look a bit old, but not really. But it's because back in the seventies, two thousand was two thousand eighty was the future. Because now it's the past. Twentieth century Fox seem to be doing all right. Yeah, do you think they'll change their name? I think somebody grabbed the name to first century Fox before they had thought about it. Mm. Otherwise, they might have done. Any hope. I think they grabbed 30th Century Fox when you know, Futurama came along, but other than that, I think they got stuck with it. <laughs> but that's... You know, I can find the whole the whole calendar thing in fiction to novels weird. 
Why? Well, because you either stick to... You either acknowledge that humanity is still a thing. Yes. Or you try and establish a new calendar. And then you kind of have to make it a plot point. I love the way that Star Trek do it, where they don't care. They clearly don't care. Yeah, the numbers, well, for the most part, try to go up. The numbers they, go... They started making an effort in Next Generation, but original series, yeah, it makes no sense whatsoever. The, the numbers go up um, in each individual show, and that's about it. It's a bit like unit dating. Yeah, to be fair... Well, no, not fair is completely the wrong phrase way. That was possibly the only thing they got, they got consistent about the original series. I mean, I know this started off as a 2008 thing. Um, well, we've gone on the calendars now. We what? have the one, but yes, but you know, the, the original series didn't couldn't tell you whether or not it was two hundred years in the future or nine hundred years in the future. And this was fifty years ago, so things have changed even more yeah. since then. That's true. I kind of love the idea that what happened at some point during mankind's development mm. is that it had this massive retro period, and it's not the fact that it looks old-fashioned all the stuff they've got; it's that they like it that way. It's Possibly. fashion. This is something I realised a couple of days ago. Not, yeah. Um, Thunderbirds. Okay, we're going divert. You know, we digress, but we digress, but we digress here. But Thunderbirds had in the sixties in colour a watch, a video camera watch you could talk to people on your phone, talk to people and communicate with. This is one step beyond the Apple Watch. But on the other hand, every other computer in that show is massive. It's the only miniaturisation computer that they had in that show. Everything else is huge. Why is the vision of the future like that? Is that a retro thing, do you think? Or is that a future retro... Are we retroactively retroing a thing? It's a gag in the Austin Powers movies. Uh, in the 60s, he's got the car, and it's got a, like an old-fashioned CRT television screen, and it's got a perfect image of his his boss. And then when, he's, when they're in the future, or in the modern day... He's got like a laptop screen, and it's all scratchy, and it doesn't quite work properly because <laughs> because it's the nineties, and that's what technology's like. And it's like, yes, well, hang on, we've gone backwards, surely. But we've come, yes. But we digress. But we've digressed. But I was going to go on about, I and mean, we were going to talk about um, maybe this in a different show. But Warhammer does that thing where they just give up. On the, the time counting, and they just go. They don't say 2080, do they? They just go M42, which is not a board, but in fact, <laughs> a, 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 a period of time M39. Point blah blah blah. In fact, they don't know how long ago it was. If it, really, they know it was roughly that many thousand years ago. But they, they, they've been sort of counting the numbers up since then. And they've not really cared what they were counting from. Because getting on to Game of Thrones, we have. No rough idea because the calendar's sort of there, but I still have no idea what the mechanics of the, that world is. Well, winter is coming. Yeah, it's taking a long time. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to how it supports life. That well, way. we don't really know how much in-world time has passed, do we? Like in in terms that we would be able to measure it in. Well, this is it. There was definitely an in an ancient empire of people who could ride on the back of back of dragons, and that collapsed. There was, there was doom of Valeria. But we're not sure when there is. And there doesn't seem that... You know, you've got the Maesters, who are relatively modern. And it looks like the Maesters have bought a calendar. I think. Mm. Possibly... There's enough know. time passes during the series, I think, and having not read all of it, but the way they have pregnancies and things which give you a rough estimate of some time passing. Mm. 
Yeah, that's a good point, actually. And also the time travels, or the travel for time in various places. Or just, because in the books it's a lot of kind of, there's an awful lot of slog, 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 slog from A to B, because you yes. walk. Whereas after a certain point they kind of just go, ah, whatever, and then just, everyone suddenly dashes around restaurants at high speed. Presumably because they've installed some fresh dragons. Is that in the science of Game of Thrones? Uh, what, t- travel timing? No, yes. no. Ridiculous travel, tri- t- travel timing? Ridiculous t- travel timing is not in, in the game. You're checking the book to make sure I've read it, haven't you? Yes. Uh, I don't think it mentions the actual time, as it were. But um, he has done history. Uh, he's done like the world of Game of Thrones. There's a whole history almanac thing. If you are George, if you are George or Martin, and we've got it wrong. Let us know. If you're not George or Martin, and we've got it wrong. Let us know because that's always fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think of a, I'm trying to think of a, a good novel series that works over time. Weirdly, Alan Moore's Voices in the Fire, the Voices in the Fire, okay. uh, which starts at um, the start of mankind with a caveman and goes all the way up to uh, Big Harry Broken Northampton. Um, yeah, does the kind of the passage of time quite well, hmm. uh, and that kind of that lack and that concept of a, of a linear time, as it were, as well. Across the world, twenty-four hours a day. So yeah, 2080. I tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a very brave move, and I'm gonna walk around the bootleg. So entertain yourselves whilst I wander around the bootleg. I get attacked by several books. It's always what happens. We should describe the booknook for listeners. It's a room with lots of books in it. It's a room. <laughs> um, there's a table in the middle with a microphone, and other than that, lots of books. There's a Loot book. the room. There's a game. There's a throne of books. There's a bunny somewhere that will devour books, but only bad ones. And there's a librarian, but not that kind. Ooh, he occasionally passes through. So I've got my hands on um, Prog 2000, which sold out, by the by. Uh, I don't unavailable mean, in shops. Unavailable in shops. <laughs> uh, it'll probably be available again, because it's on to its second or possibly third printing. So we'll open it up in the middle, because that's the way you read comic books in this country. It does have to be the most significant number of this issue. This is there's, a, there's a huge... Issue 3000 is not going to sell this well. The, 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 there is a, you never know. Issue three thousand or two thousand AD. Well, you know, well, long may they get to another thousand issues. Well, like this. I'm, I don't think it's optimism at this point. It'll be twenty it's, years time. Yeah. So, so there's a big poster in the middle, and there's there's all of your favourite two thousand AD characters. Of course, if you don't know what two thousand AD is, I, I despair. Actually, get, get down to shops and discover that you can't buy a copy, and wait a couple of weeks, and there'll be another one. Yes. Well, there's one out every week, but issue two thousand. So. 2008 came out in 1977. Um, it's celebrating its 40th birthday in February. It's going to have a big party. Um, and if I flip through these pages long enough, I will actually find out where the big party is. Because it's announced in the pages of this very magazine. So, yeah, so 1977. And essentially the movie 2001 came out and space was the thing. Right. Um, Star Wars was on its way. Starburst magazine was also about to be launched to take advantage of Star Wars, but space was in, and um, kid, it was very much a comic aimed at teenage boys, 
Uh, there was definitely a tradition still in the United Kingdom of feeding boys and girls comics, magazines. Mum and Dad would read newspapers and kids would read comics. Hey kids, yep. comics. That's where that line comes from, by the way. Hey kids, comics. Um, was a press association advert. Um, 2018 is 40 years of Phil Power Festival. 11th February 2017 at the Hammersmith Novotel. Which is in London, apparently. So, I've been to Have I been to the Hammersmith Novotel? Is it a good hotel? Yes. I think is I it a good venue? It's a good venue. It is a very good venue. Um, so, yes, it should be quite exciting. It's going to be full of people from 2018. But looking at issue 2000, it opens with Fark the Mighty. Fog the Mighty is an alien. Um, his, his spaceship landed and he decided to deliver to the children and other people um, full power, which of course is well written comics, basically. There, um, there's all things things like uh, Zarjaz and Skrotnik and other lingo from the comic books, which partially were created by spelling errors. And <laughs> there's an absolute pile of silly in gags all the way through. The plot of 2080 issue 2000 is that Farg is giving you a retrospective and he reveals that he can actually walk between the worlds of 2080 to, to reveal to you what's going on um, in this particular issue we get obviously we get Judge Dredd because it's 2080 and Judge Dredd he didn't appear in the first issue though so there you go um, and there is a surprise guest in, t- guest in 2080 um, which will either make you go squee or make you go hmm, what but, but for the sake of listeners who can't get hold of a copy, we won't reveal who that was. But, um, yes, but it's, it's number two thousand AD character. So actually, one of my favorite. Too surprising. It's one of my favorite ever lines. So he's going to mess with us for a particular crossover that they did. So anyway, so you either know what that means or not. Uh, there's a very very quick look at Slain now. And uh, in the previous anniversary issue, they went back to uh, Nemesis the Warlock and Takimoto. So shall we explain Nemesis and Takimoto? Please. Okay, so Takimara is in the far, far future. Mankind has um, become termites. We've become the termites. Right. So, and there's this. There's Takimara, as in the Spanish Inquisition torture. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a demagogue, Hitler like ruler called Takimara who says, Be pure, be vigilant, behave. What he does is mankind spread out into space. And then he's used racism and xenophobia, literally xenophobia, to convince mankind to behave and follow his rules. So mankind's now this horrible race of xenophobic murderers who've used space travel to wipe out all the other interesting alien life. Right. Nemesis the the Warlock is an alien space witch horse thing. And there's two separate lines. There's Takimoda and there's Nemesis the Warlock. Nemesis goes off and has ridiculous magic space adventures Tokumada goes off and does horrible horrible evil things to aliens um, Pat Mills who writes both of those is making a statement about Catholicism and organised religion um, sometimes he makes that statement a little too strongly for my taste but that's a different conversation for a different time um, we also get a rogue I love rogue tripper sorry he's my favourite 2018 character <laughs> So uh, we're talking about William Simpson. Mm. He 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 drew a whole lot of. So Rogue Trooper is a genetically engineered infantryman, which means he's blue. Obviously, be- because why not? 
Yes, blue's a sensible colour. But people don't come in blue, therefore cool alien things can. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it, does this qualify as a camouflage colour in 2000 AD? It does, sort of, because he's more of a grey-blue, and the world he lives in is New Earth. When mankind found New Earth, it was an Earth-like planet. And we were like, brilliant, it's an Earth-like planet. It's full of resources. It's got its own natural ecosystem. It would be amazing. So obviously we ruined it. Yeah. Yes. And we ruined it with war, and the war is, war is between the, the Northers and the Southers. And the Southers are all kind of like jolly British and jolly American, jolly kind of types. The Allies, shall we say. Right. And, and the Norters are essentially Axis. They're all horrible and kind of. So it's that, because it's. I, I am reminded that lots of planets have a North. Lots of planets have a North. Um, so the, the story behind Rogue Trooper is essentially they invent these genetic infantry men. They, they are going to be. They're going to change the war. They're going to be super soldiers and all the rest of it. They send them to take out one particular pit, hill um, and. They are ambushed in what becomes known as the Quartz Massacre, and it turns out that the general has betrayed them. Oh and Rogue, the trooper that turns rogue and does not return to to Minicom for for reprogramming, uh, decides to hunt down the traitor general. Also, his weapons talk to him. His hat talks to him. The generals do, or the rogue traders do. The rogue troopers. All this stuff talks to him. It's really cool. Gunnar. See, this is it. This is the problem about comic books, isn't it? If your name is Gunnar, you're going to end up being caught, being turned into a gun, aren't you? If your name is Otto Octavius... You're going to have like eight legs or something. You're going to become Dr. Octopus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. If, you're, if your surname is unfortunately bumpy, I, I worry for, for your future. Frankly. Because you're, yeah, the radioactive instance which affects the rest of your life is going to be chaotic. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I'd be fine because my surname's Fortune. Yes. So I'd have luck powers. He would hope. Or my you life haven't, haven't specified whether it's good or bad luck. This is true. Also, my life would just be chaotic, which would be terrible. There is that saying that you know, um, how American superheroes think you know we think of American in, in America radioactivity causes superheroes and in Japan radioactivity causes Godzilla and other monsters and there's a reason why this is in British comics radioactivity causes death yes in 2008 Strontium Dog which has radioactive mutants has one of the characters called Kid Knee which is a kid who's mostly made out of knees Um, British psyche is quite weird (laughs) Midden Face McNulty who has a face of a midden and is Scottish Uh, for example uh, and these these are these are you know larger than life characters. Yes. But essentially, there's a there's a. Um, Who'd have thought that Dennis the Menace would turn out where he is, considering his surname is Menace? Dennis the Menace. Weirdly, if that's I, another right. one because there's two of them. But it's yeah. not 2008. It's the Beano. Just yes. just in case you write in. But still, Dennis the Menace. Pick up a copy of the Beano. Yes. And this is the British Dennis the Menace, obviously not the American one. Forget that. It's rubbish. Yes. Um, <laughs> No, no, seriously, it is rubbish. The American Dennis the Menace is pants. You might as well read Archie comics, which are much better. If you're going to read Archie comics and you're grown up, you should read Afterlife of Archie, which is a different conversation. When we'll cover that on a different show. Um, but and that's for getting what people are going to write in for. If you pick up the Beano, do you remember Dennis's dad? Yes. Dennis's dad is a tall, thin guy with a long nose. Yeah. Yeah. It's not anymore. I know. 
He's Dennis. Yes. Dennis's dad is Dennis. For like our our generations, Dennis is a dad, and he's had a baby Dennis. Yes. And Nasha is like great great Nasha puppy. It's not the Nasha. It's an Auntie B. There's a family. There's a whole family. Well, Dennis had a sister. Eventually. Well, well, yes. Well, no. This Dennis has a sister, I think, as well. Well, yeah, presumably. But yeah, presumably this Dennis has an Auntie B. Yes. Because his dad's sister is. Well, we also see we see Grandpa. There's like pictures of Grandpa, and it's Dennis's dad. Has every other Beano character aged in the same way or similar fashion? I'm not sure. I think Desperate Dan is still. Is Dennis just peculiar? I think Desperate Dan, who's a dandy character, is still desperate. He's. Are they still making a dandy? They aren't. Uh, Is he still in the Beano multiverse? He is. He's still a part of the Beanoverse or the Dandyverse. And don't ask Jamie Smart about Desperate Dan. Because then he goes, because he did a really nice reimagining hmm. of of the dandy. Um, so what else have we got in here? We've got a whole load of cameos for Frog Two Thousand. We've got um, Cy Judge Anderson randomly. I don't understand why they made some plot changes with Anderson, but there we go. Um, this is this is where I wave this at producer Al and she scars at me. Yep. She's meant to be pretty. It's kind of. She's not actually meant to be pretty. She's just. Eh. Moving on. There's nothing wrong with Judge Anderson being pretty. It's nice. Just dread is also kind of. Anyway. Moving well, half on. Of, half of his face you can see, maybe. And then they introduce a whole lot of nineties characters. There's a bit of a sly reference to the nineties. Dan Abnett gives us a bit of Sinister and De- Dexter as well, which is nice. Sinister and Dexter or Criminals. I thought it was Sinister Dexter, not Sinister and Dexter. Oh, yeah. they're, t- they're the two characters in it. Yes, it's Sinister and Dexter. Yes. Uh, the strip's called Sinister Dexter. Um, and again, it's full of puns. And there is a bikini car scene. Moving on. And there's a new character called Counterfeit Girl, who is, it seems to be your usual sci fi identity drama nonsense that they've been doing for a while. So that's us talking about 2008 for a bit. Um, I ran out of nonsense. Shall, shall we, we top you up with more nonsense? Shall we go and talk to a lovely orphan? We shall. Yes. They were lovely. They were. I think we've run out of stuff to talk. If you want to bad by be on the show, get in touch with us. We've already told you how to get in touch with us. If, if you want to suggest certain nonsense, you know, we'll have to add more. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I think we should go and have a cup of tea. Excellent. I've been Ed Fortune. I've been Ross. I've been Producer Al. I think I'm going to continue to be Ed Fortune for some time. Bye! Speed Shop is a place to discuss, debate and just waffle on about old and interesting motors, mainly but not exclusively of the internal combustion variety. We'll have auction reports, buyer's guides, show previews and restoration stories to inspire, excite and occasionally terrify. That's the Speed Shop with me, Steve Berry, here on Fab Radio International. <laughs>